Hey guys, just wanted to give you a quick heads up um, because y'all already know when black folks get together, I don't care where we from, what part of the diaspora we land, yeah, we're going to talk and we're going to talk a lot. So this discussion went so long and it was so good that we had to break it up into two parts. So uh, I just wanted to introduce part one because it's so good. We hit so many different topics and I'm just, I, I, I'm in love with it personally. So you, we have some great guests on today that you guys are going to learn from. I learned throughout the entire thing. But again, I was like, y'all, we only have X amount of time. Why did I tell black folks how much time we got? Why was I playing? So anyway, I hope y'all listen and enjoy because there's a lot of good information coming. So. Hey, black joy and bootstraps. Podcast that you really need. Helping my black community. Good vibes, good energy. Black joy and bootstraps. Talk financial literacy. Love and education. Want to see my people elevated. Yeah. Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of Black Joy and Bootstraps. I am your host, Felicia Jimenez, and y'all, y'all already know I say this every episode, but it's because it's true. I am so excited about today's episode um, Our in our series of Unifying the Diaspora. So I wanted to introduce uh, some good folks that we have on today, some of my dearest friends. Uh, so I want to start with Zandra, Zandra Vrains. Uh, for today's topic, I'm taking y'all to the Caribbeans. We're going to talk about that in a sec. But we have Zandra Brains on today with us. Uh, Zandra is Trinidadian. She's first-generation American. My girl Zandra is a, uh, well, she told me to tell y'all that she's just a writer, but I'm not going to play with y'all today because she do way too much. This is my mentor. Uh, this is my dear friend. Any business ideas that I have, I got to run them by her. This logo, everything, I'm like, yo, do you like it? Does it look good? What you think, right? Uh, so she does a whole bunch in the background, public speaker, She's the auntie to my niece, She's to my daughter. She's everything. She is literally everything, y'all. Uh, we have on with us today, Danya Nagara. Danya is also one that does everything. Y'all, all y'all do everything. I can't keep playing with y'all. Uh, Danya is a mom influencer. Y'all, she gonna, I'm gonna put her Instagram and everything up so y'all can have it. Uh, she is a business owner. She is Haitian, first-generation American. Parents came from Haiti. Uh, we're excited to talk about that as well. We have... John Franco Fernandez Ruiz. You're going to put some respect on all them names because he do not play. Uh, he is Dominican, uh, parents born in the Dominican Republic, first generation American. Uh, that is also important. He is a filmmaker, a daddy, a zaddy for some of y'all. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Franco is one of my dearest friends as well, y'all. We are going to have a hell of a discussion today. Um, but I wanted to start off, guys, because I'm, I need to dive right into it because we got a whole bunch of good questions, a whole bunch of topics uh, that we need to discuss. But I feel like we need to go with uh, just the foundations really quick, the fundamentals, so that we can understand a little bit about uh, each of the islands that you guys are from. So, Zandra, could you start? And I want to make it quick because y'all y'all already know my podcast is not about no colonizers. We don't care about all of that. But it is important for the discussion that we are about to have, right? So, Zandra, can you tell us... Um, who colonized y'all? Let's start uh, over here with my girl Z. What you Who got? colonized Who us? Who colonized y'all? <laughs> Just Let being me go honest. through the rundown of Trinidad's oppressors. So um, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm supposed to be using my African-American dialect. Oh, should I be speaking like a Trinidadian? I don't know which one. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so Trinidad has, uh, much like the Caribbean, like a slew of oppressors. So we've got Columbus. So that's why the capital of Trinidad is Puerto Spain. We don't use the uh, Latino dialect there. 
Um, like we have foods like uh, past, we call it pastels, it would be pasteles. But um, so we first have, uh, we've got Spain um, and then uh, the French and then uh, the longest uh, oppressor and colonizer was the British England. So in Trinidad, what are the main languages that are spoken? What's the main language and then other languages? Uh, that are we speak English because that was our longest. So, so that's the official language. Uh, you know, um, people who are still unpackaging their decolonization would say we speak the Queen's English, but um, I don't give a rat's behind about the Queen's English. That's the language of our colonizers. We really should be speaking, um, you know, some Yoruba or some sort of African dialect there. I don't have any allegiance to the English language. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's our oppressor's language. So, um, so currently, because that was our longest colonizer and the last person who that's who we gained independence from was England we speak English in Trinidad now after uh, emancipation uh-uh nope we finna talk about that in a minute nope you finna nope 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 so let's just go on let me move on to Gianfranco uh Gianfranco tell us who y'all's colonizers were so that we can understand a little bit of the history there uh, yeah, it was it, it was kind of a little bit of a mix. I mean, mostly it was the Spanish that came and colonized, but we had you know some Portuguese colonizers as well. Um, the 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 settlers, the ones that like really kind of had their hand in the pie, were were the, were the Spanish. Okay. Um, that came and and did their thing. So in the Dominican Republic, the language is Spanish. The language is Spanish. All that right. Is the, that is the colonizer language there. Thank you. Um, Danya, let's go, girl. Let's talk about Haiti. Tell us uh, who colonized y'all and what language it is that y'all speak, mommy. Yes, um, it's a French, of course, and we speak French and Haitian Creole. So Creole, um, it's also known for Portuguese Creole. It's just like a mix of different languages. So African, French, a little bit Spanish, um, all it together makes French Creole. So um, those are the two main languages there. And we'll dive into the history later. <laughs> yes. So just so y'all know, for anyone who listened to um, episode 15, which is over code switching, I talk about Creole in there and how Creole is actually, um, so you have what is a language, you have pidgin, and then you have Creole. And Creole is when pidgin is accepted as the national language. So it's the breakdown of two or more languages. Uh, so when you hear someone speak Creole, you'll probably depending on the languages that you speak, you'll be able to go, oh, that's an English kind of word. That's a French kind of word. That's whatever it is. But Creole is just a breakdown of one of two or more languages that has now become their national language. So when she says they speak French Creole, that is the background of that. Um, so I feel like this is super important. We had to get past that little part because the rest of the discussion um, is kind of based on that. And so if you watch our first episode uh, with Benoni, he talks about uh, that even in Ghana, they have, he went to Lincoln Memorial. Uh, and so we see colonization still happening today, right? Like no matter what country you're in. So um, let's start with the beginning. We know that there are four races, right? When we start talking, because this is, this is important. Uh, we have white, we have black, we have um, Asian, and then we have our indigenous native um, American Indian population. So all one, that's like three, but it's three and one. Uh, and so, but when we have these conversations with different people, blackness is defined differently. And so when people in the US tell me they black, I'm just like, okay, you black. Like, 
I mean, I've seen black people like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that don't, in my opinion, present black. Uh, but once they tell me they're black, that's all I have to go on. <clears throat> excuse me. And so that's kind of what we do in America. But tell me what black looks like in Trinidad. Uh, I mean, yeah, in Trinidad, Zandra, is there like a definitive, uh, like these are the people that are black? Because you said you have two people, you have Indians and you have black people. So is it more like cut and dry? So we didn't have, um, I think the thing as, you know, as an African-American, we specifically have the one drop rule. And so that's why I think yes. our range of blackness is not tied to phenotype because, you know, there were literally people that looked and presented as white. And if you found out that they had one drop of blackness, then they were going to be enslaved too. And so I think that that really, um, that really is the lens through which African-Americans look at blackness and why um, in some places we may feel like, and maybe we like have like this catch all that in other places that they're like, y'all just letting everybody be black. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anybody go to America and be y'all just, just let everybody be black they're like that's why y'all got racial cultures all out there because y'all just y'all just let everybody be black you know and and I think that's because we have this one drop rule and then depending on where you're from I was raised in the south you know and so one drop rule is very heavy in the south uh okay now in Trinidad um it's a little bit different like there are people that will call themselves uh creole and what creole will mean there is essentially that they're of some sort of mixed race. Um, it doesn't literally mean that they're of uh, Haitian and French uh, descent, you know, right. or they're not from Haiti. They're just, they, that, that's their word for like, um, I'm, I'm mixed. Currently today, um, like if somebody is mixed with black and Indian, like they, they would identify as black. So in that sense, it's very similar to kind of here in the States where if you're mixed with black, you black. It's not, it's, it's, it's more what they identify with. Whereas for us here in the States, like somebody could be like, I'm not really black. And we'll just go around the corner and be like, that girl is black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not the same. Got it. <laughs> like, but we looking at it and we like, stop playing with us. Um, okay. That makes sense. So Kenya, I want to know, because this is something that I don't even know. Like, I feel like some of the questions, y'all are, y'all finna teach me along with everybody else today, but is blackness even something that is talked about in Haiti? Because like everybody black. So what does that look like? That's what actually, well, I was trying to process my mind. I'm like, everyone is black in Haiti. You know what I mean? You might have different shades. Like as an example, I forgot what they call them. Um, but you can spot a Haitian who's a bit more fair. Like you, you've seen like Gabby and Ashley, they're a bit more paler and they have like a different name for them, but we're all Haitian. Um, and there are a lot of Dominicans who live in Haiti, not as much, but they, they'll be walking in a crowd and they all look the same. So there's no, right. like this person's black. It's just either Haitian or Dominican on that. Right. Um, Gianfranco. So what I know, my husband's Dominican, my in-laws are Dominican. I know that in the Dominican Republic, uh, that blackness is very different. So I want you to talk to us a little bit about that. What does it mean? Because let me be quite honest. Everybody on this panel is the first, um, you guys are the first, you're the first Haitian I've ever met, Danya. Uh, you are among the first, uh, John Franco, I met my husband first. He's the first Dominican that I probably like knowingly met. Uh, and then I met you guys, like your whole, like all your cousins, right? <laughs> so like I had never been around black people who were something other than black or African. 
And so you guys introduced me to this new world of people that I'm like, what do you mean black? Like I speak Spanish, but when I speak Spanish, again, I'm in a world where it's, it's completely, it's very Mexican. And so they're like shocked that someone who looks like me speaks Spanish. But then I went to the East coast and I'm like, what is, they just, these folks don't even speak English. So explain to me, Gianfranco, what blackness means in the DR. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, this is just a coda to what you're saying right now, but you know, even in Mexico, blackness is there. Um, Amen. A, Amen. It's, it's, all, it's all over the place. The Pan-African experience is, you know, universal. But um, in, the, in the Dominican Republic, it's very uh, interesting in that it's, it's really kind of affectionate. You know, like you might call somebody negrito or negrito because they're a certain tinge of black. But that that uh, that name is more of a cutesy qualifier it's, it doesn't hold identity um you know I, I, there's kind of this I, idea that blackness at least in the Dominican Republic and things are changing little by little but um that it that it revolves around illegal immigration specifically speaking to like the country of Haiti which is I mean a stone throw I like was on the border like a year ago and you wouldn't know that you were on the border it's just it's that easy to cross, um, but that's kind of that's 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 what the interpretation of blackness is in the Dominican Republic. It almost is like the ownership of it, um, the weight of it is on the other side of the the island, right? It's another country even. So for those who are not familiar, <clears throat> excuse me, Haiti and the Dominican Republic are on one island. And they are split by a border, kind of like how we are uh, in the States with Mexico and uh, Canada. We are like one landmass, but we are divided by borders. That is exactly how it is with Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Now, there is and we have to like address the elephant in the room for people who know it, because there is um, a history with Haiti. Um, and the Dominican Republic that is very volatile. Right. And so when I ask, like, what does blackness mean? Um, because not every Dominican, I mean, I was shocked when I met a Dominican that looked like you, John Franco, that told me they weren't black. Um, because again, in Texas, I'm like, how you not though? Because if you look like me, we using the same hair products. We go into the same barbers, like how you go sit here and tell me, you know, that you're something else. And so that was very it's shocking for me. And it's still shocking for me. I've been married to my husband who's Dominican for 10 years, who, I mean, is black, who identifies as black. But when we talk to other Dominicans, it's like there's a spectrum of understanding what blackness is within the Dominican culture. So could you speak to that? Like, what does that look like understanding blackness in the Dominican Republic? Uh, you know, I, 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 I hate to paint it this way, but a lot of it really is um, kind of like what age bracket you're in. Um, and again, things are changing little by little. Some people are like a little, they're, they're not as hip to um, blackness. Um, and, you know, Zandro was, was saying a little, a little bit more about this kind of the spectrum of black identity and discovering it. But um, it's not easy to, to grow up. There's a little bit of confusion, I think. I mean, you like, my mom is so light. She's a very light-skinned woman, you know. Um, my son is a mean old light-skinned boy. Um, and it's easy to kind of come from that and feel like you, you don't really belong to blackness because 
that this doesn't speak to blackness, right? Like my mother doesn't speak to blackness. She can't really say that she is that. She is that, right? Um, she, she's absolutely black. But the, the mentality with kind of this, you know, xenophobic tendency of thinking of Haiti and maybe, you know, the history there um, lends itself to making us run away from blackness, from the idea of it, from the oppression of it. Um, and and kind of claim this other thing, almost saying like we're the colonizer itself, as opposed to saying the colonized. We're saying we are the Spanish, um, and we're you know so much more than that. And uh, so it's kind of it's it's a weird thing. I mean, I even had to come into it myself, which is in and of itself an interesting experience. But the funny, the, this is the weirdest thing is when you're coming up, even trying to discover it. There's no question that culturally you feel akin, right? Like I, there was an, at no point that I ever think like, you know, oh, I don't belong in the black community. I was like, I was very much in it. I just also thought, but I'm not that exactly, right? Like I'm not black American. So I'm just gonna hold on to Dominicanism, whatever that means, because my mother doesn't have kind of the, the phenotypical uh, features and attributes that maybe blackness should have. Mm. it's hard to say that you are something that your parents are not identifying as. And that's something that I've seen because you're, you're saying it's generational, right? Like the younger generation is like, I'm black, right? Like they're understanding that they are black. Um, but when it, but also there is this, like their parents are like, I'm Dominican. And they, and Dominicans love to say this, like we're a mix of things. Right. So it, and, and you are like, duh like you you are very much a mix of things but it's like that clinging to um other things and so I wanted to get over to Xandra really quick because I feel like you um you had a good perspective of this of what uh being black is and the spectrum of that so could you tell us a little bit about um about that Xandra this is definitely an oversimplification but I think what we as black people have to recognize is like nobody woke up like this. So what I would say is that we all have, a, and every race has this, we're just talking about ours because that's what the show's about. Um, <laughs> but we all, <laughs> I don't care about other people's because I'm not in that, but in mine, uh, it, I would say it's a racial identity development spectrum. To oversimplify it, I would say at one end, the best end of that spectrum we could be is pro-Black. The worst end of that spectrum we could be is anti-Black. And as a Black person, anti-Black would mean that you have internalized uh, negative stereotypes, tropes about yourself um, that could be through our family experiences, that could be literally through colonization, it could be through our education, it could be through our own experiences that we have in our formative years. And we don't understand like, uh, how to process that so we internalize something about blackness that makes us behave in an anti-black way do anti-black things now when we think of anti-black we we might think like oh we are we joined the Ku Klux Klan and we are burning crosses that's not necessarily uh that is one form of anti-blackness but we're not all gonna be on the opposite end of that spectrum right. so if we're somewhere in the middle we could be willing to say yes I'm black 
which is something pro-black, but then um, we don't uh, internally, we don't like our features or we don't like our hair or we, um, we, we use an out sometimes. Like if we have another nationality that we can do that when we're in social, certain social settings, we're not black anymore. Now we can be Trinidadian, we can be Dominican, we can be Haitian. So there's all sorts of things that um, we don't necessarily understand and and that's why i would say the spectrum is not linear so i'm not going to go like it's like this and you're just either sliding this way or sliding that way it's not a linear spectrum you could have liberated yourself in one area i'm proud of my hair i'm proud of my features but then you have work to do in another area that's not up that spectrum long enough and the interesting thing about what john franco said is that you know he is uh coming into blackness while not having parents who identify as black. I think for those of us that are African-American, we have this very black and white picture of blackness, right? Yes. So we would say that you're either in or you're out. And if you come in later, we kind of don't trust you because we're like, uh, oh, now you've been at, now you, oh, now, now you black. And so there's this kind of thing for folks who don't necessarily have a foundational or a parenthood or a heritage to report, to, to like look at. And that's not necessarily fair if we are going to unify the di diaspora. We have to understand that not everyone gets a foundation in blackness and therefore we, we do have to be a little bit flexible. Now, how flexible should we be? Not so flexible that Rachel Dolezal gets to come in <laughs> <laughs> and tell us that she's black, right? But flexible enough that somebody like Gianfranco can uh, progress in his blackness and we're not saying to him, no, if you weren't black, you know, in 1992, you don't get to be black in 2022. That that can't be that can't be how inflexible we are. We have to allow people to develop into into this spectrum. Absolutely. And so when we look at that too, um, I think that's the biggest thing. And and even here, when they like you were saying, when certain ethnicities come here, um, that is the difficult part because they get to in their home countries, they get to just say, "I'm Brazilian." I'm Panamanian, I'm this, I'm Dominican, right? And then they come here and America is very different. And so that's another thing that I, I really wanted to discuss because we have to give people the grace that you were talking about to come into that identity. So Donya, I wanted to um, go over to you because you are American born, is that correct? You were born here in the States, right? But you are one that identifies, you will not say you're African-American, you will say I'm Haitian-American. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that because um, for me, if you're Black, you're born here, it don't matter what, what you are, whatever, in my brain, you're African-American. So let's talk a little bit about that. And I know that there's like a history with that. So I wanted to ask you, why, why is that? Why are you Haitian and not African-American? <laughs> you know, after what Xandra said, it's just... Wow, absolutely amazing because I'm identifying with my culture, not the race. You know what I mean? But honestly, before making that video that you're referencing, and I am Haitian American, that's all I've ever said my whole life. It's the traditions, it's the practices. It's if it's the last day of the year, I'm making soup jumu. I'm not going out partying for New Year's Eve. I'm actually cooking something that we have to make every first day of the year to celebrate our independence in Haiti. We're celebrating independence again in May. Like there's so many practices that we're doing as a Caribbean um, island. And even like in Boston, 
Franco knows, then August, you know, everybody's going to be up and down the street with Juve partying carnival, you know, up and down the street as a Caribbean whole. That's just who I am. I never really had like an African-American upbringing. And even just in high school, I think I knew like a handful of African-Americans. And the only reason why we knew is because they were the only Black individuals who did not have like a flag, you know, like Honestly, in Massachusetts, people, they hang their flag everywhere. But Portuguese and Brazilians, you see that flag in the back pocket. Like, you just knew where they, who they were. Mm. But if you see a Black individual who did not have, like, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Haitian, Jamaican flag, you know, okay, they're African-American. That's how it was growing up for me. Um, and that's just how it was. The culture, everyone just proudly represented their, their flag. Um, that low-key kind of hurt. Like, I thinking that as African-Americans that... The what makes us different from a lot of other people is that we ain't got no flag. And the the fact that we African-Americans, to be honest, we're just not waving the American flag like that's just not that's not something that I've seen in particular, um, especially as a Southern girl uh, that we're doing, you know, so that's that's very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask. um, Gianfranco, do you feel like and then I'm going to come to you, Xander, because this is like a I love this topic. So Gianfranco, do you feel like um, specifically Dominicans that are in America, when they say the word black, that they hear African-American and that's why they don't identify? Do you feel that? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to, you know, what I was saying earlier about what happens even in the Dominican Republic when looking at um, the history of blackness and how they might associate that with being Haitian and that identity and kind of rejecting that for a number of reasons, uh, both, you know, um, economically kind of interesting, but also really negative for identity. Um, I think that I, you know, in, in the States, we're thinking the same things. We're thinking privilege versus oppression. Where do we land? If we are, um, and I'm saying the collective we, but really, I mean, this is not my, this is not my experience. But the collective Dominican, especially if they're coming from the island, they're going to land in this kind of spectrum of privilege or oppression and trying to figure out where they, you know, what they can claim. And if they can claim whiteness, then they will. I mean, my my grandfather's um, one of his sisters, she moved here in like 1920 something. I mean, this is way back, but um, she straight up changed her name was Gracia and she came and was like I'm Grace now and she was light enough that she could play that off um you know married into a white family not that there's anything wrong with marrying somebody white but um her identity was swept under the rug it was there was nothing else that would take her to the Dominican Republic and by virtue of that there was nothing that connected her to her pan-African experience to the truth of like where she comes from and uh, and that's a sad thing. You know, a lot of her family doesn't know what that is. In fact, they just end at the Dominican Republic when they're doing their their kind of research. They're going like, this is where this ends. You know, mm-hmm. they got to get to the genealogy to be like, Ghana, where's that coming from? Right. It's like, it's coming from right there. That's where, that's where it all started. You know, that, that middle passage, it took us exactly to the Dominican Republic. And lots of people got right off and started living their lives, you know, right. started mixing with, with the Taino people, with the Portuguese, with the Spanish. Um, so anyway, that's what I think it is. I think it's their way of trying to like grasp some privilege 
Mm. Um, so here's I, where I'm from, Gianfranco, and this is my like, I feel like nobody would ask you what you are if you were here, because I think the assumption would be, this is a regular black man. We see black folks with loose curls all day. People might assume that you're mixed, but I don't think anyone would, That that's just my opinion. Like, I can't speak for all Southerners. I can't speak for all black folks, but I think most people would just go, that's a black man, right? Our first glance. Do you identify as African-American or do you only identify as Dominican-American that is like, I'm black? Um, this world is like so funny, like semantics play such a mm -hmm. large role in identity anymore. And so I, I think like, it's, it's tough for me to say that I claim African-American as part of my identity, part of my, like my structure, but I do claim black culture. Mm -hmm. So American black culture, I feel like it belongs to me. I feel like I was raised with it. I feel like it's part of my foundation. I feel like that's uh, just part of who I am. But it's hard for me to say I'm African-American. I lived the Pan-African experience, but I'm Dominican-American. Okay. Um, and I understand that. Zandra, so Zandra, you are an interesting breed because I feel like you're the only <laughs> one who, <laughs> you literally like everybody else, they are again, first-generation Americans and you're the only one that's like, I'm African-American, what's up? So, and it's crazy because literally when she was like, you know, should I talk about Trinidad and accent, whatever, like, her grandmother, her mama, her daddy, that's the accent you're gonna hear when you walk in that house. You're gonna eat plantain, you're gonna eat all of the Trinidadian things you're gonna eat in that house. So why is it that you're different, Xander? Why are you African-American? But so, like- <laughs> I think the history um, is important here. So in the US, African-American and black are just synonymous. They're not different. Um, and it's, they're just, it's African-American slash black. It's mm -hmm. just your race. Um, there was a choice here. Why are we African-American? Well, because as uh, uh, Americans were developing their identity, we went through a whole bunch of things. First, we were niggers. Uh, we didn't want to be that. Why, that's what white people called us, you know? Then we went to, we're going to be Negro. Negro because a lot of these colonizers from the word Negro, that's just Spanish for Black. But then we did not like that. We were colored at one point. African-American for the reason why we are called African-American slash Black here is because we wanted something that automatically said that we are acknowledging that we are of African descent because the word black doesn't necessarily tell you um, that you're, it was is a way to uh, get us proud of our African descent because the truth is right, blackness is something inclusive. And that's why a lot of us, the young folks today, we like the term black. You're black inclusive of being Dominican. You're black inclusive of being Haitian. You're black inclusive of having a white mom. You're black inclusive of being biracial. You're black inclusive of being mixed race. Black is a very inclusive. So when somebody says to me, um, you know, I'm biracial. Well, biracial is not a race, right? There's no, you cannot check a box. You're black inclusive of being biracial. And so that's why we like that. In America, African-American is just literally synonymous with black. So the reason why my parents would not identify as African-American, even though it's synonymous with being black, is that they, they don't literally have any African-American culture. They could not speak A-A-V-E if you ask them to, right? They could not cook, I mean, they've learned some of the foods, but they don't eat the same foods as African-Americans. I, however, was 
uh, raised, I'm born in America and was raised in the Southern United States. And so my experience is very African-American. When I go to school, I am learning that dialect. And I don't think that I'm an appropriator of that dialect, right? It's actually my dialect as well. The same way as Gianfranco speaks Spanish, is he an appropriator of the English language? He's not, neither, uh, um, neither, neither are you, you know? Like none of us are appropriators of the English language. We're either learning those things because we are multi- um, we are multi-ethnic, multicultural, or we're not. And mm. so I think the hard thing for African-Americans, right, is when you have folks that don't identify as African-American, but then they're using our colloquialisms, they're using, it's, it's kind of like, well, if you're not African-American, but you're Black American culture, what does that mean? Are right. you a visitor in our culture? Or are you multicultural and you are also African-American and you are also a Dominican-American? I am also a Trinidadian-American. So for me in the South, it was very important for me to not be a visitor at my lunch table, right? I don't want the other kids to feel like I'm picking up hip hop, I'm picking up this dress, but then when I have a choice to stand or not stand, I'm gonna say, well, I'm not one of y'all. Well, then why am I speaking like them? Why am I why am I doing that? It's because I'm African-American and it's my culture to have too. May not be my parents' culture, but by way of them immigrating, they made me multicultural. The, the hard thing with that for us is that you have, we've got parents that have what I, and I, I, this is gonna be really hard, but I'm gonna say it. What we all have been indoctrinated to is nationalism. That's the end of the story. That's really what it is. Wanting to identify as Trinidadian versus Jamaican versus Dominican versus Haitian is all nationalism. We were indoctrinated into nationalism. Nationalism needs to be separated from the cultures that we enjoy, the traditions that we love. And um, that's a part of us as black Americans, we would say we have to dismantle our internalized racism. Folks who for, are from colonized places, we actually have to decolonize our minds, our way of speaking, our, our, our traditions, our history. We have to decolonize, we have to separate our, the, the somebody told us being proud and loyal to a land mass versus being proud and loyal to our foods, our music, um, who we are and much of that, to be honest, all those things we're proud of, that's African stuff. It's not, it's not the colonizer's landmass. I want to say too, that I think that that's a very good point because if you talk like us and black people are very, you guys know how we are, right? If you talk like us, if you sitting here saying, oh, it's lit or it's this whatever for me, or you talk like us. Alicia, can I just correct you on something? Since we're all on here, you can't say black people because- what you really mean is Black Americans. Sorry, you, that's what I mean. Yeah, you are you correct. You say African Americans. When you say Black people do this, you're excluding Sorry. anybody who's not African American. Sorry, I apologize. Let me say that. <laughs> you are correct. What I, And that's that's super important for the point. Which because is why we have to have that marker, right? We cannot right. just say, because we have to know who we're talking about. We, that's right. why African American is an important marker. Right. So when Africa, I automatically assume that a person is African-American and that they are going to claim to be African-American when they talk like us. Like, and I don't just mean, because this is important, right? Like it doesn't, it goes far beyond, um, black people are very protective of our language. So it goes far beyond the foods that we eat, right? Um, when I hear people say, 
oh, sis, it's the dress for me, right? Then I'm thinking you African-American because if not, then you just appropriated my language. That's my language. Like those colloquialisms, um, th that's all us. Those are African-American terms. So I asked for those of you, and I know you said, you know, Gianfranco, yours is the pan-African. And I'm not saying you need to change your mind right now on this show. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> like, or Danya, right? I'm not trying to like pressure y'all in. I'm not going to like beat you up to be African-American. But I think that that is a really good discussion to be had because when people, when other people do that to us, when other races do that to us, we say that they're appropriating our culture because that's African-American culture is very specific to us. So Danya, you had something you wanted to say. I probably talked out of turn but yeah no you're good um I kind of want to go back to what Xander said about um having to be a visitor at the table um and I feel like as a Dominican or Franco we had to deal with that we had to um luckily for me I spoke a lot of, I spoke English I was fine but I had a lot of um, friends who had to learn how to not speak uh with a Haitian, a Haitian accent and to just conform to like the the black dialect and just to have that aneurysm and just speak like an African-American because they were made fun of. Um, even just their skin tone, like growing up, you know, it's crazy because Haitians are like well-known now, but we were treated like really bad in high school. It's like, if you're a bit darker, that person's Haitian. You know what I mean? They're fresh off the boat. So it's like, we literally felt like outsiders. You come to this school, you come to like a setting where you should feel like, okay, these people are, they look like me, I, I should be good, right? But then you get treated less than. Mm -hmm. And then that's where everything shifts. So it's like you have no other choice but to identify with your own, with your culture, because you go you go home and you are accepted by everyone. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, like in high school movies, they have like a white table, black table, this and that. We had literally a table full of Caribbeans, like mm -hmm. a table full of Portuguese, Brazilians. You just identify with your nationality and you have Italians, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's just what it was. Um because African-Americans, they were too kind. And luckily I didn't, I wasn't raised in Florida, but my cousins were literally bullied. Like as soon as they go to on a school bus, they know they're going to have to square up. Somebody's going to fight them because they were Haitian. Right. And that's actually what um, brought up the Haitian gangs today because they had to like form something to protect their own people. So it's like, Haitians felt like visitors, like mm -hmm. literally, like they, no one accepted them. So it's like, you have no other choice. I mean, we had our own pride, of course, but now you have this pushback. So it's like, you know, I'm Haitian American. That, that's it, you know? So you have to understand that aspect as well. I want to say something too. Um, I have kind of two questions about that. Um, Kenya, in, in Haiti, um, are, and not to like hound you or anything, but like, oh, also let me just lead with this. When we have these conversations in mixed company, um, I hate them because these are the conversations that people love to weaponize, right? They say, well, African-Americans treated Haitians bad. Not everything is for you, Karen. So I want you to understand that if you're listening right now, this is a very Black discussion, very, very Black. So I need you to tread lightly in understanding what it is that we're talking about, right? Because I don't want this weaponized. Um, but I do have a question, and I'm going to kind of lead it into what it is, whatever your answer is. But in Haiti, are fair-skinned Haitians treated better than darker-skinned Haitians? Like, is there like a, I have never been to a place that was colonized where it wasn't. So I'm just wondering in Haiti, are light-skinned Haitians treated differently? I'm saying this now, I've actually never stepped foot on the island. Okay. <laughs> but I do know my mom and other relatives, just, just with the aspect of everything where like in Boston and Florida, 
Um, yes, they are. They just know that they are uh, more so French, you know, uh, descent. And even just in certain, we're all from France, you can say, like we have that French descendant, but they're treated really different. Like um, there's some artists like Alan Cave, he's very like pale and they just, he looks like he's French. So they kind of associate with just the colonizer, kind of like with Fra- what Frank will say with Spanish. Um, and even in my family, they're kind of just, they just look a bit different. They get approached differently. Their hair is a bit softer sometimes. It just depends, honestly, but they are treated differently for sure. I ask that because growing up in the South, um, and I'm not super dark, but I'm dark enough to be treated like a dark skinned girl. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, there was also that like light skin, dark skin that came oh, yeah. from um, white supremacy, right? Where my mother was fair skinned not light-skinned, but fair, where she could pass the paper bag test. And we'll talk about that in a whole different episode. But in America, there was a paper bag test. If you were as brown as a paper bag, then you were afforded certain privileges. And so for me, whenever I hear the Haitian and African-American experience or the Dominican and Haitian experience, it's interesting because I'm like, throughout any area where there was um, colonization, we had the light-skinned, dark-skinned from, from slavery, from every from every ounce of our history, we've had that. But for some reason, in certain cultures, it's like, well, I remember when you treated me badly. Baby, African-Americans was treating African-Americans bad because that's what white people had taught us to do, right? Like they taught us that if we can divide and conquer, and we talk about this every episode now, but if we can divide and conquer, then we'll be different. So we're talking about colorism. Correct. And essentially, colorism is a system by which proximity to whiteness gives you certain privileges. Colorism means that the closer you are to appearing your phenotypes, your skin color, that you just get privileges based on that. What happens is we internalize colorism. When we internalize colorism, we do xenophobic things to other Black people. Now, I would say that what um, Danya is speaking about, I would not call that colorism. I would straight up call that xenophobia. When you're talking when you're, and I say that because it, uh, from what she's ex- explaining, it's not because Haitians were dark skinned that, that African Americans were treating them poorly, it's because they were Haitian. And so that's xenophobia. That is, you're treating another Black, in this case, country, um, poorly, bullying um, a, another, that's, xeno, that's being xenophobic. And xenophobia is something that we would internalize from oppression. Now, I'm going to say, In the case of Haiti, I'm going to speak specifically about Haiti. In the case of Haiti, I think that we have a lot of work to do as a diaspora. And that is because every single one of us, it does not matter what part of the kidnapped globe you ended up on. We all got taught a lesson. (laughs) We all got taught a lesson about Haiti. And and, and the thing is, because Haiti is the only um, Black nation that was able to achieve their liberation through rebellion, that uh, around the globe, what they did was villainize Haiti to every other place that slavery existed because they were in fear of this rebellion. And so part of decolonization, part of dismantling internalized racism is recognizing that, and when I say this, I mean it's strategic systemic Uh, type of villainization. There were pamphlets disseminated throughout the rest of the Caribbean teaching um, 
enslaved oppressors how to make sure that their people did not do what Haiti did. The French did an excellent job. I mean, in America, I mean, you you talk about the history of French. America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. But what did we do? We bought Haiti's debt. And did we forgive it? No, we did not. We are still taxing Haiti to this day, and they're paying French taxes. We just have to decide whether we're going to play into the system, whether we're going to stay in the system, or whether we're going to liberate ourselves from that system and do some healing. Well, so you kind of took my next question, which was... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's important, though, because I was going to say between um, Gianfranco and Danya, if what you feel, and it's funny that you hit all of that, because again, this is my question is, do you feel that um, what is happening between Haiti and the Dominican Republic is actually xenophobia? And we use that term, you use that term a lot, Xandra, but I want to say that xenophobia is the um, fear or mistreatment Um, segregation, all of those things of people from other countries. So you can be xenophobic. If you are American, you can be xenophobic of anyone that comes from another country um, to America, right? Even if they look like you, it won't be racism because you all are the same race, right? There's only four of them. So we'll fall within the same race, but we might. I would say it's actually, even if we're all, everybody here is from the same country, but we're all Americans, right? Mm -hmm. But xenophobia is showing up because of whatever colorism is a type of xenophobia. So I would say it's really just when we uh, internalize racism and then wield it against our own race. That are from different that who who have a different ethnicity, too, though. It like, may not always be that because colorism. We how, can xenoph- say- how can I be xenophobic towards you if we were both born here? You're being it's, colorism is, I would say, a type of xenophobia. We, we we have to be careful when we talk about stuff like this. There's a really fine line, you know, and I, I think it's an important conversation. But like if I can if I can pull out examples in history where, you know, I can say the same things are applicable to another completely different race um, with people that are still within that exact race. Right. I mean, like Italians came over here and they faced a kind of, you know, segregating right right that's xenophobia right so um we have to be aware of this we don't want to like go to this place of saying like this is only happening in this kind of area and i'm I'm not saying that any of us are saying that but there's there might be like that that view that interpretation of what we're saying and going this is a black thing this this is this is part of the history of america and um on a larger scale the world really i mean we love to segregate we love tribalism we love to fall in you know, these little groups and pockets that look and think and talk and act like we do, um, which I think is part of, you know, mine and, and Donya's experience as people of color, as black folk specifically, um, that tend to go that we're Dominican. I don't even think it has anything to do with nationalism, frankly. Um, I, I mean, Danya, how much do you know about the Haitian government? You know, like I'm not sitting there reading Dominican politics every day. Right. I mean, that is like in and of itself, like nationalism oftentimes is is tied to to that political infrastructure and understanding what's happening Um, in my mind. I I would say nationalism is just your allegiance to the nation, because, I mean, there are nationalists that don't understand anything about. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. You know, because I I think it's just uh, it's 
I, I would say like African-Americans in the, in the, when, when the integration of the military happened and we were overwhelmingly joining the military, that is the type of nationalism, right? So all of a sudden we were flying the flag, all of a sudden we were proud to be American, all of a sudden we thought we were gonna be included. And that was, we were being indoctrinated to nationalism. It didn't mean that we shared the same politics as everybody else. It didn't mean that we, uh, you know, when we when, when 9-11 happened, what would you call that? That's, that's, no. that's nationalism, we don't- Right, but, but there's, 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 there's an undercurrent there that is political. I mean, like all of those examples that you just stated are all inherently political things. And, you know, like 9-11, the military, all of these things have to do with like all of a sudden becoming a part of what might be the zeitgeist at the time. And so that's what in my mind, I go, that's inherently what that's attached to. And so I don't I obviously like I love that I'm Dominican because that's my ethnicity. There are things that I love about that but i couldn't tell you three things about the dominican president except that he's an idiot you know um so you know what i'm saying so i mean really these are the things that we have to look at when we're talking about these things because we can fall into these like little definitions that don't really apply all the time um and that's a really scary place to be in um i like know. that scary place i'll be honest with you i just think it's all just trying to find nuance that says something isn't what it is i like to just be for me, it's just like, I think it makes us incredibly uncomfortable, right? So at the end of the day, we don't want to think that we have some sort of allegiance to something that's negative. But, but the truth is, I would say that. But, but, but I see, again, I, I hate to cut off, but yeah, I, would not, I would not die for the Dominican Republic. Like, that's not happening. So right. we have to qualify what allegiance means. And if allegiance so is like a cultural spectrum, No, allegiance thing. is a spectrum. And the same thing is like there are Dominicans who would say, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll die, I'll go fight for, for the Dominican Republic. I think wanting the term to only apply to like the extreme is, um, is again, it's like more comfortable, right? But the truth is like a nationalism could be like, I'm, I, I don't want to go die for America, but if I'm literally walking around saying like America is the greatest country on earth and we have the best food, like, isn't that a form of nationalism? It doesn't have to be the extreme, but I, I think like not wanting to call a thing a thing because we're not doing the extreme level of it is where we don't recognize that something has to change because we're, we're saying it's not what it is because it's not as extreme as other people do it. See, but that's where in my mind I go, when we're looking at nationalism, it could be a spectrum, but it's really like us placing pride in, in something a little blindly. And I'm the things that I place pride in in my culture and the same that I would say in like Danya's culture, they happen to be like in music tastes, which have like African influence and the cuisine. Right. And, you know, maybe like certain ways that we might sound. Um, and those things happen to revolve around my ethnic culture, but have nothing to do with nationalism, nothing, nothing, nothing to do with it. In fact, I and I say this specific, I, I'm like, I'm almost like, damn, am I detracting from this conversation? But I, oh, I really I dislike nationalism. I think it's like really kind of um, I hate to, to be the kind that's going to be like so like extreme on this but i think nationalism leads to dumb people i i, I think it creates very dumb people can i and, say uh, that that is also 
I, I understand what you're saying. And it's also um, a very black American experience here because when people around us tend to love America in a way that we can't understand and we can't, we're like, how can you love something that is treated us like, but again, their experiences, it, it's not the same um, as ours in America, right? So, and that is when you can get people to do things that you were just talking about that are extreme, right? That you can get them to love something so much that they can they can go out and do some crazy, they can do some January 6th type insurrectionist type, take over the government type right. stuff, right? Um, we're not there. We at home looking at TV like, mm, 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 look at this nationalism, they done. <laughs> and so I think we have to, again- also like okay so we so folks who immigrate to this country they 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 don't they have pride in their culture they have pride in their foods they have pride in america but then does that i mean not in america in whatever country they're from but then when they say things like um pull up your pants because we're not like we're not like the people here don't speak like that because we're not like the people here is that an insurrection no but is that something that it would be considered it's not as extreme, but those are all the things that I'm saying, like, we don't like the term, but just because it doesn't show up in the way right. we wield it as extremism doesn't mean it's not nationalism. And I think that if we don't like the term, then we should definitely start looking at, well, how are we being nationalistic? Because there are ways that that pride in those things, when we get to a place like America and now we are mixing with other black people still shows up. But I wonder if that's nationalistic or if that's xenophobic, you know what I mean? I don't think the two are the same and I don't think that they're in the same lane, frankly. I think but what she, I feel like what she's saying is that the xenophobia <laughs> shows up because of the nationalism. Correct. Like that one is an effect of the other, not that they, they are intersect. the same thing. Yes, that they yeah. intersect. So yeah, that's I, what I, I, go ahead. So an immigrant parent saying to their kids, like, I would rather you marry a white person than an African American, right? What is that? You is xenophobia based on what? I, Can this I just is a, say, it's a great question. It really is. It's, I'm like sitting here thinking about it and trying to figure it out. And even if we were to define that as something nationalistic, it's not, you know, the sins of the father doesn't like automatically go to the correct. children. You know what I mean? Like that's not something that obviously. No, we, we know that in epigenetics that we internal that we get things. We may not understand why we're behaving the way, but the sins of the father definitely influence. And we, and that's why there's something called dismantling because it's a, it's a understanding that I have picked up things. I am behaving in a way that I don't know their origins. So to say that we have not been influenced by that, to say that we may not know why our parents said that or what it, what it boils down to doesn't mean that we're not, we have not internalized some of those things. Okay, Zandra, that that is a really good point because I think that as an African American, I don't think I ever say, you know, I'm proud to be African American. It's just like proud to be black, and that's kind of what it is. Um, but I do know that black people from other countries, like you guys, you get to say I'm proud to be Trinidadian or Haitian or you know Dominican, whatever it is. And so that these are the conversations that I that I've been wanting to have because is it nationalism is this just pride why do we take pride in ethnicity and not race we know that those things are different so i feel like this is a great discussion for 
dismantling those things and also just dissecting. Like we have the opportunity to look at all of these things that we are talking about and say, okay, but what is the root of this? Where does it come from? Uh, is this positive? Is it negative? And, and move from there. So I just can't say enough. You guys are absolutely wonderful. Uh, you are really teaching me a lot. Uh, and this is all because, I mean, again, our different backgrounds, when we step out, we might, people might think we are the same, but truth is we all come from different backgrounds. So I'm just really loving this. Hey guys, you've just listened to another episode of Black Joy and Bootstraps with your host, Felicia Jimenez. And I have a couple things I need you to do. One, I need you to subscribe right here, right now, wherever you're listening to me so that you never miss an episode in the future. The second thing I need you to do is follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Black Joy and Bootstraps so that you can receive all of our content, not just our podcast episodes, okay? Uh, as you already know, our goal is to each one teach one, and we cannot do that without you. So thank you guys so much. Till next time. Mm-hmm.